brought part of the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. And then I'm going to move straight through from that to the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58. Book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58. But first of all, from Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these things, these words saying, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, your maidservant, your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, And hallowed it. And then Isaiah chapter 58. Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God, they ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, In the day of your fast you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul as it is to bow down his head like a bulrush? and to spread about sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer, You shall cry, and he will say, 
here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure in my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honourable, and shall honour him not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Yes, I was a vicar of Christ Church Fullwood for 29 years, which I thought was a long time, the vicar of one church, until just after retirement I preached in a Baptist church in, in Lincolnshire, and as I mounted the pulpit steps I discovered a plaque at the foot of the steps to a pastor who'd been their pastor for 67 years. Can you imagine what age he was when finally he decided to quit it? What I thought was even more marvellous in the Baptist church, they do this kind of thing, under the plaque there was a text, just have a text for everybody, and the text of this man was, be steadfast, unmovable. That's a marvellous text. He <laughs> ruled ship for 67 years. Well, it's a joy to be this here tonight. I am not essentially a lecturer. I am a preacher, not a lecturer. Uh, I, the, the, my predecessors in this series have been uh, professors and lecturers. You have a slightly different style tonight, but I'm very happy to be taking this particular uh, commandment. I know it's controversial, uh, and I, in a sense, hope that at least we stir up concern and interest, because I think it's a very important <coughs> commandment. Just to set it in the, in the Ten Commandments, um, in a few weeks' time, I guess parents here and grandparents here will have to sit through the hours while their children or grandchildren open up their present. You probably enjoy every minute of it. I tend to go to sleep in the middle of it, but you, you watch it all happening. And I remember the occasion when uh, it happened all too often, when our, somebody would buy our son uh, a kit to make an aeroplane or something like that, and he'd struggle with it. And then half an hour later, he'd come with it to Dad and say, Dad, can you help? He came in despair. He went away in despair. <laughs> and he took it to Mum, who sorted out very quickly. But uh, there is, if you've got an, uh, you know, how to make an aeroplane, a toy aeroplane, you can't do it the way you think is best. The man who's made it has made it the way it's got to go. And if you want the thing to fly, to be the kind of thing it ought to be, you've got to follow the maker's instructions. It seems to me the Ten Commandments are simply that. They are the maker's instructions. They're God's way of telling us how to live in the world he made. And in all of them, 
Uh, if we fail to observe, then we, we expect the chaos to follow. And we're living in an age when that's true. And I believe the fourth commandment is actually rather significant. Because I think in many ways, people who are not doing too badly on the other, you know, how many out of ten do you get? Some of us not doing too badly on some. On this one, even devout Christians seem to me these days to be very negligent. Now, um, John's mentioned that I am now president of the Lord's Day Observance Society. It's the only job I've t- taken on since retirement. I've got quite a number of jobs where you have to retire at a certain age, and I've passed the age, and I retired. But the Lord's Day Observance Society asked me to be president. Now, I assure you, it doesn't involve any, any work, except what I'm doing here tonight, of course, but uh, I, I'm just an honorary president. But I, I took it on quite happily, because I do believe in the importance of this commandment, I'm glad that the Lord's Day Observance Society have got a more positive note in their ministry, not least through the Day One publications, which I commend to you. They're extremely good publications. One of them is Brian Edwards' book on the Ten Commandments, which I found tremendously helpful doing my sort of uh, uh, homework on this commandment. I commend it to you, as I commend Alistair Begg's uh, book on the Ten Commandments. It's good to take that with you and to see them all in context. Now, uh, as a boy, I was brought up with a very godly lady, a godly mother. Uh, my father was not a churchgoer, but my mother was very godly, and she was very much of the school of that day as far as Sabbath observance was concerned. So I was brought up in a rather legalistic manner, and I was a slightly impudent child. And I remember I, I was told by my mother, it was quite all right to go walk on Sunday. Walking on Sunday was kosher, permitted. Uh, but you weren't allowed to kick a ball on Sunday. And I thought the logic was rather difficult. I said to my mother, well, I've got to lift my leg up like this to walk. If I, in the process of lifting up, I kick the ball, why does that become a sin? So I got clouted for my sins. <laughs> my mother would have been in prison all her life if she'd lived today. Abuse of children, bless her, she did a marvellous job. Well, of course, that was over-legalistic. Of course it was. Uh, and we've, we, we'll come to this later on. Legalism on this particular issue can actually do despite to it. We can actually demean the commandment by a, a foolish legalism. Of course, it made no difference when I kicked a ball on Sunday. That's fairly obvious, isn't it? Uh, but I've moved from that through the kind of liberty that thinks I can do as I like to the, li- the glorious liberty which Isaiah 58 speaks. That is, there is a joy in not doing what I think I want to do, but in doing what he wants to do. A day set apart for God but in the process for my well-being. Now, it is true, as John says, this commandment has become one of the most controversial. I guess it's one of the few uh, about which evangelicals seem to disagree. I can't understand why. My fellow evangelicals sometimes don't see it as I see it, but I can't always promise to be right. But there are those who want to suggest that it is not any more relevant to us because we don't keep the seventh day because the Sabbath day has become the Lord's day. And in the process, well, this is really to do with the children of Israel and doesn't really relate to us in our day. I find that very difficult to believe. For the whole of the ten are given in the same context. It's all part of the maker's instruction. And I believe if we're going to suggest that number four isn't relevant to today, we find it very hard to stand on our ground when we meet people who suggest that, well, committing uh, uh, abortion isn't murder and... Uh, some of the attitudes to sexual permissiveness are not adultery. Surely it, it's always been translated into our world with all the cultural challenge. Now, I accept the, the challenge, the difficulty. I am essentially, though, I, I'm a preacher. I am very much a pastor uh, and a 
of course, a family man as well, and I know many of the problems of today in the kind of world in which we live to keep this commandment central. But that doesn't make it any less important that we should work at it courageously, sometimes maybe sacrificially. You will notice, of course, just seeing in context, that it is actually a bridge command between the duty to God, which is our first three commandments, and then the, the rest. Well, uh, uh, number four, the, the honouring of parents, is also a bridge command. They stand between the two. It is a positive, you notice it, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. It's got the negative, but it's very much a, a positive command. It becomes, in the Old Testament, a barometer of the relationship of the people of Israel and their God. And right through Old Testament scripture, it's the keeping of the Sabbath that marks out this people as the people of God. I um, was preaching recently from the last chapter of the book of Nehemiah, and uh, always a challenge to, when you're preaching from books like Nehemiah, to, to uh, be faithful in what they call, many of you know the word, the hermeneutic. Oh God, hermeneutics, one of these nice long words of today. I used to have sitting in my congregation uh, the expert in hermeneutics, a man called Anthony C. Thistleton, uh, professor of biblical studies, and he was a member of our congregation. So it was always a little difficult. If I heard him give a lecture, he said, I was listening to a sermon the other day, I would quail, I would hide behind a pillar. Um, but, but the idea of hermeneutic is that you, you, uh, you take the two horizons, his great book on hermeneutics is the two horizons, and you take the horizon of Scripture... And you take the horizon of today and see how they meet. And that's the point. It's intriguing. He's, he's a lovely man, is Tony Thistleton. He wrote a book called The Two Horizons. And one of my curates said, we ought really to discuss this book in our staff meeting. And I've learned all the, the way to do this kind of thing. So I said to the aforesaid curate, you read it first. And when you've got the grip, grip of it, uh, we'll start discussing it. I'm still waiting. Uh, that about 15 <laughs> years ago. Um, but the hermeneutic of Nehemiah 13, which is all about... The temple, it's all about racial purity, it's all about the Sabbath, and you could argue that none of these are relevant to the Christian church. We don't have a temple anymore. We don't, I think, any of us believe in racial purity in that sense anymore, nor do we have the Sabbath in the technical sense anymore. And yet I believe Nehemiah 13, dealing with issues, issues is very relevant. It's what we do about the Lord's house, the church, it's what we do about not being unequally yoked together with unbelievers. These are very relevant issues. And about the issue of tonight, what we do about the Lord's Day. It is significant, let me say this straight away, that we have changed the Sabbath, in that sense, from the seventh day to the first day of the week. New Testament teaching, the early church met with in the Sabbath and the synagogue uh, as long as they could before they were often thrown out. But they also began to celebrate on the first day of the week because it was the day of resurrection as well as the day of Pentecost. And they celebrated on that first day of the week. So you get Paul telling the Christians to bring their offerings together on the first day of the week. He met with the early church in Acts 20 on the first day of the week. Remember that vivid occasion when he preached so long that poor Eutychus uh, went to sleep and fell out the window. I, I always liked the, the end of the story. He fell out the window and died. Paul went down, brought him back to life and continued his sermon. I, I, that's a, <laughs> which, of course, is a great example to us all. But that was on the first day of the week. And it was on the first day of the week that the book of the Revelation, John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. So I wonder if I may, because I am a preacher at heart, 
You were glad to know I've got three points to bring to you. I want to talk about a point to be debated. I've got four sections of that. A principle to be observed and three sections of that. And a practice to be recommended, two sections to that. But you don't need to worry. I shall finish in time. We're driving back to Sheffield tonight, so I shall not keep you unnecessarily long. Now, a point to be debated. First of all, in church life. There are many issues today over the the problems of work and pleasure bursting in on Sunday. And it makes it very difficult for Christians to be regular in their worship. There is a cost to be paid. And, of course, the, the the old idea that we were in God's house morning and evening is becoming a rarity. It was almost a a sort of sine qua non of a keen Christian that he or she will be in church twice on Sunday. And people ask me, Philip, where do you find in Scripture anywhere it says you've got to be in church twice on Sunday? I cannot find the answer, of course, so I simply say, I really can't find anywhere. But it does say in the psalmist, seven times a day do I praise you. So I thought, twice isn't too bad, is it really? Uh, The idea that we should be there with the people of God when they meet seems to be a, 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 a very obvious thing. We'll come back to that later on. But it's only our age that I think has tried to remove from the fourth commandment as being relevant at all. Of course, there have always been problems. If you read the history of Sunday, do buy uh, buy Brian uh, Brian Edwards' book, if you haven't got it already, two chapters on the fourth commandment. And in one of them, he very helpfully goes through the history of Sunday, which I don't want to do this evening. I haven't got time. But in different times in church history, it's swung, sometimes from extreme legalism, uh, what you can't do on Sunday, uh, sometimes to a complete liberta- libertar- libertarianism, do as you like, on Sunday. But in a way, it's, it's been left to our age actually to say, well, uh, really, it, it, it doesn't matter. It's not relevant. It's not a challenge anymore. Now, if you want to say this particular commandment is particularly to do with the children of Israel and God, well, isn't that true then of the other ten, of the other nine? The context of, of Genesis 20 is... I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So here are the rules. Now, on what grounds we take one of them out and say, well, (laughs) that doesn't apply to us anymore. These are the maker's instructions. And in that command, we'll see in a minute, it's got all to do with creation. He doesn't go back to anything special to children of Israel. He goes back to the creation of the world. And therefore, it's true for all of us. And also true that we have a right to battle for keeping Sunday special, even for those who are not believers. We have a a, a right as Christians to want to battle for their well-being, for it's made for people's well-being. May I just make that one comment, a a practical comment? Uh, It's been my privilege to travel abroad in Christian ministry quite a bit, and I remember sitting in a debate in a Middle Eastern Islamic country where they were debating what to do about worship, uh, the, the expatriates there, uh, would they worship on Friday, which was day off because it was a Muslim country, uh, or should they worship on Sunday, which is the special Christian day? I think, uh, it, came to, I think it came to a wonderful conclusion. They decided to do both. Uh, uh, and so on Friday, they met on the day on Friday because that was the day they were free to meet. But they also met after work on Sunday to celebrate the distinctiveness of their worship, that they were different. So they used the practicalities of worship on Friday, but they worship distinctively as a group on Sunday. And I had the privilege of preaching to a huge crowd of people in Dubai on that Sunday evening. So uh, that was one way of tackling this particular issue. Church life will always create difficult problems. I, may I throw out one of the greatest problems of today? Parents, your kids want to play football. Uh, it's always going to be Sunday morning nowadays. 
there are practical ways of doing it. Our son, who's a vicar in Bradford, who's a keen football enthusiast, started off a local fo- church football team on Saturday, made it better. The league is better and more exciting than the Sunday fixture, and uh, the people have got something positive, not just not going to, to play on Sunday, but having a positively good game on Saturday. We need to be imaginative, but it's a problem. It's a tension point for many parents. Well, that's in church life. The second point to be debated, in the Old Testament. Some would argue that you don't get a lot of it in the Old Testament after Genesis, the story of Genesis, which is quoted in Exodus, the Sabbath day, the seventh day, uh, kept holy, until you get to the manna story in Exodus 16. But the manna story is very interesting. You may recollect, you know your scriptures, that in uh, the manna was there, and on the sixth day they had to collect twice as much uh, to last them over the seventh day. And miraculously, it didn't go bad as it would have done other days. God was preserving the importance of that day. And as you can remember my story, there were those who disobeyed and discovered they had all sorts of problems because they thought they knew better than God. So it is, it, it's there in, through scripture. And it comes out in that lovely bit of Isaiah that John read to us in Isaiah 58. I love that bit. To call it a delight, a holy day. I'm glad that LDOS have got day one as their publication title. It's a reminder that it's, 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 it's good, it's positive, it's a beginning. It's the most exciting day. And unless we do that as Christians, then we shall, of course, be seen to be fighting a losing battle. And it's possible to win the argument theologically but to lose our congregation in the process. Somehow we've got to try to make it wonderful so that our kids want to be in church on Sunday. So it's an event. I was preaching in, in Fullwood last night. They occasionally invite the old boy back to preach in his church. And it was great to stand there and see the galleries full of, uh, of young people, students and so on. Lovely to see that they're there on a Sunday evening. Plenty of things they could be doing, but they're there. So in... The Old Testament, we've got this, a delight, a holy day. Can I just make a contrast here? It does link in a bit with the main theme. I was, I'm old enough to, be, to have been in Sunday school, not all that long, after the great stand of Eric Liddell when he wouldn't run on Sunday. And my Sunday school teacher always held Eric Liddell. Long before the chariots of fire was thought of, we had the story, the real story of Eric Liddell who refused to run on Sunday. Do you remember the story? Uh, ran on another day, a race he'd never run in before, and won because he ran for God. And we lads were taught, you know, those who honour me, I will honour, says God. Now, I want to contrast that with something that happened a few years ago. Rugby fans can tell when the last Rugby World Cup was before this one. It was then uh, when there was a New Zealand uh, person who would not play on Sunday, even though it was the final. Now, I'm a, a great lover of the Christians in sport. I'm a member of Christians in sport for all sorts of reasons. Uh, and I, I had to take cut up cudgels with them. Because in their article, they actually lamented the fact that he didn't play on Sunday on this great final. Because he robbed the people of the chance of seeing his great skill and how important that was for a Christian to be playing in that most important game. And I thought, extraordinary turnaround. I accept the fact that they would not have, if he played, they should not have been condemning him particularly. But actually to say, that he, to condemn him because he didn't play, seems to me, and I wrote to protest as a Christians in sport supporter, I think their line was wrong. What a, a big remove from the Eric Liddell world. And I want to suggest that is probably where we are in terms of our attitude to this commandment. 
that we treat it very lightly. Well, I come back to support in that later on. In church life, in the Old Testament, in Christ, here is the significant bit for many people. Did Jesus ever actually quote the fourth commandment, to which the answer, as far as I know, is no. Uh, nor did he actually quote the first three either. So I'm not sure what we're sort of meant to make for all that. Uh, it's, it's a kind of nonsense. It's rather like on a t- different issue. He never spoke out against homosexuality, you know, and therefore that means he wasn't all that bothered. All the non sequiturs, you, you, if you want to ask questions about that, it's not on the subject, but I'd be delighted to, to answer them. But he didn't actually speak, but he did demonstrate his attitude to the Sabbath. He was there on the Sabbath day. He went to worship. He was in Nazareth on the Sabbath day, and he went on the Sabbath day to worship. What he did oppose was the foolish legalism of his day. Now, let's, let's hold on to that. Of course it was nonsense when the Pharisees condemned his disciples for plucking ears of corn on the Sabbath. Of course, that's not working on the Sabbath day. And of course, it was right that he manifested that if somebody was in need, ill, on the Sabbath day, he would heal them. If I, on Sunday, was desperately ill, uh, and the doctor said he couldn't possibly deal with me because he was at church that day, I might not feel too pleased. There was nobody there to look after my being in an emergency. Of course, we all agree with that. What did Jesus condemn on about Sabbatarianism was, of course, the foolish legalism. If you like these details, pick up Brian Edwards' book. He has a lovely page or two on some of the silly rules that they had in those days. One he didn't put down, he perhaps thought it was a bit too crude, was one of the ones I've always remembered. Uh, I I do apologise if this isn't quite up to the usual standard of decency. But uh, apparently it's all to do with cleaning your teeth. Uh, you were allowed on the, on, the law, on the Sabbath day to clean your teeth, provided you swallowed the saliva. If you spat it out, that was work. Now, uh, I'm sorry about all that, but that was what the law said. This is the legalism. So you may not clean your teeth and spit on, the Lord's, on, on Sabbath day, sorry. Otherwise, you are going against the law. And you immediately say, isn't that ridiculous? Of course it is. But you see, that was part of the rule. Now, you see, don't you see legalism, this whole place of the law, legalism goes against the whole concept of the law. For it would be possible, though very irksome, to keep all the rules about the Sabbath. You could do it. There were hundreds of them, but you could have the rules in front of you and make sure that you did not do what you should not have done on the Sabbath day. So what was Jesus? What was his famous line in Mark 2, 27 and 28? The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. By which he means this, that uh, God didn't give us uh, rules and regulations which were important and told us we've got to keep them. So the rules and regulations mattered. It wasn't bothering about us. He's just a, a rather spoiled sport God who wants to make sure we keep these awkward rules. He left them for our good. He left them for our use because he, he knew the kind of people we need to be, what we needed on the Sabbath day. So it was made for us, for mankind, not just for Jewish people, not just for the children of Israel. It was made for mankind and for mankind and the benefit of men and women. Now, there could be occasions when something would go against the normal use of the Sabbath. There's, again, an illustration in, in Brian Edwards' book of... Uh, uh, taught by Werner Wright, uh, a very well-known professor who died a few years ago, whom I knew well. And Werner Wright has this illustration. If you're driving along the car and there are bollards there which say you must keep left 
and you see a child jump out in front of the car, you, of course, will take no notice of the rule and you'll crash through the bollards to save the life of the child. Of course you would. Everybody common sense. It wouldn't be any good saying, well, it said keep left, so it meant killing the child. That's just too bad. Clearly one law would super have been uh, imposed on another. Jesus used an illustration about uh, in the days of David, the showbread was there only for the priests. But when David and his people were desperately hungry, well, it's a greater need came first. And so the Ballard illustration, I think, is very useful. So Christ, in Christ, it is not Jesus denying the Sabbath, anything but, but wanting to rid the Sabbath of all the foolish accretions that actually did damage to the cause. And at the end of my lecture tonight, if I drive any of you back to legalism, I shall have failed, for it's the worst thing that can happen. And if you're bringing up children, you know that. Now, thirdly, in the New Testament, in Christ, and the New Testament, now there are some issues here that do seem to be significant. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 5, uh, Paul is arguing about uh, how you behave, Romans 14 verse 5, and he does point out there that one man considers one day more sacred than another, another man considers every day alike, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So Paul is arguing about the, uh, what you do with special days. Now just hold that. And in Colossians 2.17, uh, 2.16, you get it even more pointedly, and it does seem to suggest at first sight that it doesn't matter what you do with the Sabbath. Colossians 2.16, do not anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that have to come. The reality is found in Christ. Now, it's interesting to me, the word Sabbath day actually in the original Greek is in the plural. And I believe it's actually not referring to the Sabbath was a normal day for special rest days. Isaiah talks about God condemning, he does, I don't want your new moons and Sabbaths. So I think if he'd if it meant to, dis, to demean the Sabbath day for a Jew like Paul, I think he would have made that more specific. What I think is very clear is that Paul is actually saying, there are those who uh, find special days important. Others uh, prefer not to do. Of course, we all believe you should live six, seven days for God and not just one. No Sabbatarian believes you can do as you like for six days and then worship God on the seventh. On the other hand, there are those who do keep rather special days. Uh, yesterday, my new diary began. Being an Anglican clergyman, I have a thing called the Parsons Pocketbook. It contains the most useless information you can possibly <laughs> imagine, but it, it's quite useful uh, for Anglicans, particularly when I'm trying to demonstrate, which people do not believe, that I really am a good Anglican at heart. So it's there. And, of course, there are every special day here, all the special days, the saints' days, and all the rest. I was a curate to a vicar who kept all the saints' days. The worst one was Boxing Day, St. Stephen's Day. Would you believe it? We're all worn out at Christmas on 8 o'clock St. Stephen's Day morning. We had to get up for communion. Oh, I always remember that was a trial and tribulation to the soul. And I, would have, I was glad to find out that uh, special days weren't necessary. Anyway, there we are. I've not been doing it since I grew up and had my own church. But there is Paul saying, special days, yes, can be important, but let's, uh, uh, these aren't the most important thing. And it would be possible, though I don't think he means the Sabbath, it would be possible to have a view of the Sabbath and the Lord's Day for us, which could actually give the impression that it doesn't matter too much how you behave in six days, it's what happens 
on Sunday that counts. I sometimes give the illustration that some people think that uh, God has a video in heaven and he switched it on when we're all in church and he sees us all singing our hymns with great enthusiasm and listening to sermons with rapt attention, or not, as the case may be, but yes, normally, with rapt attention. And he looks down on us and says, what a lovely lot they are. They're okay. If God has a video, he does it Monday to Friday and seeing how we behave the rest of the week. And I know in church history there have been a lot of harm done to the cause by people who kept the Sabbath with absolute accuracy but lived very differently in their work of their life and were a real insult to the Church of Christ. So there is that danger. But certainly I don't believe it suggests to us that you should ignore Paul went, went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day as his custom was, right through Acts, often thrown out, but he would be there on the Sabbath. Well, those are points to be debated, and no doubt you have a question later on. Church life, Old Testament, New Testament, in Christ. There are three principles to be observed, I believe, in the command. The first is, in creation, rest. That's what uh, Exodus 20 is all about. We're to rest on the Sabbath. And the very humanitarian legislation here, and later on in Exodus 23, that the animal should be given a chance to rest, that the servant should be given a chance to rest, that it's concerned for others. So it was a day for rest. Now, however I think you interpret, I won't get into the whole issue of creation, seven days or whatever, but however you interpret the book of Genesis, the whole pattern of this six days labor and then rest is the important principle. It's part of the order of the world in which we live. Let me give you a human illustration. If you're a preacher, minister, uh, well, Sunday, is, I used to get phone calls on Sunday Sorry to trouble you on your busy day, Vicar. You know, the idea is you were six days invisible and one day incomprehensible. That was the sort of line. And, uh, and this was your busy day. Just as from now until the end of December, they'd ring up and say, sorry to trouble you on your busy period, Vicar. So the <laughs> rest of the year you weren't around. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> that's, that's always a danger. But I, I, uh, so we have, to, we have to take another day off. Sunday's a very busy day for those of us who preach and teach. I have a friend in, when I, in my Edinburgh day, some of you know Alan Redpath, who became a great friend of mine, Minister of Charlotte Chapel in Edinburgh, and I was Rector of St. Thomas's Christophan, and we worked well together. And I remember uh, he had a whole year virtually off ill. And I can remember him uh, I, giving me a little word. He was about 20 years older than me, I think. And I can remember him saying to me, Philip, let me give, teach you a lesson. Make sure you take your day off. I haven't done for years, and now I'm having to have all my Sabbath rests together. His year was a whole Sabbath. And uh, that was the right point. He, he didn't bother taking a day off. He would be preaching down in Brighton on a Saturday and drive through the night to be preaching in Edinburgh on Sunday morning. And the man just wore himself out, and Alan taught me a lesson. Well, Margaret, my wife, is here, so she, she, if she's honest, she would say I didn't always take my day off. But mostly I did. Learn one or two nice practical rules. One of, the, one of the nice rules is that you must have a phone by your bedside. And then you see, oh, somebody always rang you on Saturday morning. Always, Saturday's my day off because I'm a f sportsman. And I'd be, uh, I'd be having a lie-in on some Saturday morning and the phone would always ring. And I'd put my hand out and pick the telephone up and I would look, speak in the phone. And obviously my voice sounded rather sort of sleepy. And the voice would then say, oh, sorry, Philip, I haven't got you out of bed, have I? And I would say, no. <laughs> which was literally true but I meant it in a different way from what he meant it I was still there so there's one way to make sure you have your day off 
But the Sabbath principle applies. You, of course, in the Old Testament get the Sabbath of Sabbaths. And that, you know, every seven times you, know, you have your jubilee and you take time off. And, uh, and nowadays Anglican clergy and others have their sab- sabbaticals. I never had a sabbatical. My church wardens once said, you wouldn't like a sabbatical, would you, Philip? I like the way they put it, <laughs> to which the answer was no. I'm not sure you can find that in the Bible. But I think it is, and if you can, why, why any clergy? Why can't everybody else have sabbaticals? But the Sabbath day, it seems to me, is there as for rest, and we need it. Now, I hope you appreciate the battle we have. I don't know what it's like in Newcastle, but I do know of people who have jobs in stores, and they, if they wanted to say, I want Sunday off for church, they'd have an awful job to get it off. Legally, I think they probably should be able to, but they'd have an awful job, and they certainly wouldn't get a job to be the first out to be redundant when the time came. Now, I believe it's, we're made that we need rest it's part of the pattern. It's not the rest of doing nothing. I should hate a day doing nothing normally. It's doing something different, something positive. Isn't that why Jesus said in John five seventeen when he healed somebody on the Sabbath, my father is working until now and I am working. God hasn't gone to sleep because his creation is finished. He's still watching over his universe. He's still at work. But there is that kind of rest from our normal labours. And so on a day we need to rest from our normal activities. In creation, rest. The word Sabbath means rest. The word Sabbath doesn't come in Genesis 1 and 2, but the root of the word is there. He rested on the Sabbath day. Secondly, in creation, rest. In covenant, remember. It's interesting, isn't it? In, in the other version, you know there are two versions of the Ten Commandments. In the Deuteronomy version, chapter 5, the commandment ends this way. Deuteronomy 5.15 Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Not just remember creation but to remember that you were redeemed. You were slaves and you've been brought out of Egypt. And it's, it's vitally important that we need to keep on reminding ourselves of the great doctrines of grace. And the Lord's Day is given to us so that we might be taught, that we might give time to worship, and that in the midst of our busy life, then we must give time. Uh, some years ago there was a Lord Provost of Aberdeen, that's a Lord Mayor in English terms, the Lord Provost of Aberdeen, and he was a very regular worshipper at a well-known church in Aberdeen, morning and evening. And uh, when he became Lord Provost, somebody said to him, well, of course, you'll be, you'll be too busy now to be in church twice on Sunday. He said, I should be so busy now, I shall need to be in church twice on Sunday, <laughs> which I thought was the right way to put it. That is, he, he needed time. I had a grandfather who was a local preacher. My mother's father was a local preacher. Now, it's intriguing, this. He was a kind of sabbatarian who would feel it wrong to even to use public transport on Sunday. And, of course, he didn't drive a car. So if he couldn't walk to the place of preaching, he would travel on the Saturday so that he wouldn't be in, in public transport on Sunday. I had the privilege once or twice of preaching in my younger days in churches where he, he was remembered as my grandfather. Now, in his day, he, he owned a printer shop in Blackburn in Lancashire, where I come from. He owned a printer shop, and that, that opened on Saturday morning. So he worked five and a half days a week. But he still was able, and a very fit man too, still was able to give time to keep Sunday special and was all the fitter for it. 
And I believe we need to remember to get the balance of our lives right. It, of course, is true that every day of the week we should remember God's goodness. But the Bible understands the frailty of the human flesh. We are busy people. We have many things to do. And therefore a day set aside when we are taught and we worship and we remember the truths of grace. In covenant, remember. And thirdly, in continuance, hope. There's a lovely promise in the book of Hebrews. You've come across this promise in Hebrews chapter 4. I'm chasing you through the various uh, Sabbath texts of Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 4... There's this promise, chapter 4, verse 8. There remain, verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest rests from his own work just as God did from his. Now, there are two ways of interpreting that Sabbath rest. I've been involved, as some of you know, for many, many years, 40 years now exactly, with the Keswick Convention. And uh, in past years, the Keswick Convention would often use that kind of illustration of the Sabbath rest now, the rest of ceasing from depending on my work and trusting in him. There was an old-fashioned hymn, My Saviour, thou hast offered rest, oh, give it then to me. The rest of ceasing from myself to find my all in thee. That doesn't mean I get Keswick for a very long time. But there's a truth in that. But equally, I think in the epistle of the Hebrews, he's talking about that wonderful rest, which is the glory of heaven. And in the sense in which we meet on the Lord's Day, we meet with one sort of anticipation of the wonder and glory of heaven. Well, unless your church is absolutely wonderful, I don't suppose it's yet quite up to the standards of heaven. But it is being with the people of God in anticipation of the glory of heaven. And uh, therefore... We remind ourselves and we set a witness to the world that we believe in these eternal truths. I wonder if you appreciate that in the world of today, because church going is so poor in many places, and I come from South Yorkshire where it's the worst of the, in the nation, I believe. We are the, we're the bottom of the pile. Uh, so we know the problem. If you actually are seen to be attending church on Sunday, you are sending out some signal of witness. To go to church, there was a time when going to church didn't make anything, mean anything at all. Everybody went to church. But nowadays we are saying something very special. And these truths of rest, remembrance and anticipation of hope are those things that we are nourished with on Sunday and we make a witness to others. Not easy. And I'm going to come to the very practical things now before I stop and let you ask a few questions. I want to talk about a practice to be recommended You'll find some very helpful things in Brian Edwards' book. He has one chapter uh, very much on this whole idea of you know, being very practical about it. Let me be practical. Paul, the commandments are meant to be practical. They're searching. They're meant to be practical. First of all, the danger of legalism. Let's, let's be, sure, be clear about that. It is possible, it is possible to have a new kind of legalism. It is possible for Christians who feel strongly about these matters to go back into that. And if we do then I do hope that we uh, recognise that we should be doing harm to the cause by being legalistic. Uh, making up rules and regulations on what you can and what you cannot do on Sunday. Let's be careful about that. And if you read Romans chapter 14, where Paul is dealing with this whole issue, he suggests there are two dangers. The danger of those who are legalistic is that they condemn others. And that's possible. That all we do is condemn what other people do on Sunday, how awful it is. 
until they've come to know Christ, probably in these, this day and age, uh, well, uh, what would they do? Somebody's asked me the question. I, I get asked it quite often. I go around the country, and I go to churches where they run lots of alpha courses. And what are your view on the alpha course? It's an evangelistic outreach ministry. And I go to a church where they've had six alpha courses in the last couple of years. So I say to the vicar, is your congregation bigger now than it was before? I'm an awkward, I'm an awkward son, so. Is it bigger now than it was before? And very often, almost always, they say no. So I then ask the question, isn't that surprising? I mean, if you had six alpha courses, wouldn't you expect the congregation on Sunday to have grown? And we then ponder what it is that lies behind. There are one or two issues sometimes. It's because uh, they've been attended by church-going people who've just come into a new life, and that's fine. Or attended by people who are always going to courses, whatever they are, and that's not so fine. Uh, but one issue is this. When I became a Christian in my teens, I already went to Sunday school, Sunday afternoon Sunday school. Uh, I started to go to church. Well, I, I didn't have to stop anything. I didn't do anything on Sunday. So to go to church was not really dramatic or radical. I had nothing to unravel. It was just a matter of uh, going to church. But now, you see, people's lives are so full on Sunday. Everything is busy on Sunday that actually I can make a response at an Alpha course and have a, a genuine commitment to Jesus. I don't doubt it. But it doesn't seem to issue in giving Sunday a rightful place. Now, I commend that to you, something we, we need to think seriously about. And if I may be bold, since I don't know you all, and I'm dashing back to Sheffield tonight, so it's all right if I tread on corns, there are those of us who are Christians who actually do play fast and loose by Sunday ourselves. Who We travel on Sunday. We end our holidays on Sunday. We give ourselves an extra day. Uh, my successor at Fullwood went to a special conference for larger churches, and he said, do you know, Philip, we all came to a conclusion that actually we never get in church on any given Sunday more than 60% of the congregation, of the membership. And he said, when I look round Fullwood, in spite of the huge crowds, that's about right. Now, where is it, the 40%? See, so many people are away so often at weekends, constantly away for weekends. Family, cottage in the country, that we're not in our particular church on Sunday. We may go to church somewhere else, or we may not. But our commitment to that local church, which should be our priority, is a very much an occasional thing. So it's not surprising that younger people, new church members, think, well, that's sort of, obviously we go to church when we feel like it, when we're not doing something else. I think it's a very practical issue that I need to think through its implications. So the danger in Romans 14 is that those who are legalists, they condemn. And then there's a course of what I call the libertarian legalism, which is even worse. You would come across the ones who get gloriously freed and expect everybody else. It was at the time when no Christians drank alcohol. Life was straightforward. And then, of course, lots of Christians decided the Bible doesn't condemn drinking of alcohol, so they became very free. And those of us who still stuck to being more or less TT were, were frowned upon. Come on, Philip, come on. Free yourself, you know. Uh, there's, there's nothing worse than the people who tell you to free yourself. I was free myself. I preferred my soft drink. Uh, and the danger of those people in Romans 14 is that they look down on others. Now, here's one other stretch about Sunday. No, it, it, it doesn't say in Sunday you should meet twice on Sunday. What it does suggest, it, it is the Lord's Day, very specially for him. And it's possible in smaller churches particularly to have a service and everything, everything happen at the same time, stay on for a meal together and pray together and not keep to the sort of 
11 o'clock on 6.30 or whatever. Well, fair enough, I'm not, I, I'm not being legalistic. But there's a myth abroad, and the myth abroad is this. Sunday's really a family day, and therefore, you know, that's the important thing. Now, I think we hide behind the myth. If you think your teenagers are playing Scrabble with Granny on a Sunday evening, then you've got another thing coming. If your teenagers aren't in church, they're not playing Scrabble with Granny, and they're not in Sheffield anyway, they're in the nightclubs, they're wandering around the city. And if you're not getting to church on a Sunday evening, they're in very different places. I think the family day idea is largely a myth. It may sound very wonderful. Go to church on Monday, we have the rest of the, of the day as a lovely little family together. I, Marge and I always give thanks to the to the work of our own church amongst our young people, about, for our kids when they were young people. And they, they learnt as much about Christ from being other young people on the Lord's Day as they did from being at home with mum and dad. They learnt something from us, but it was good for them to be with the other people of God. So the danger of legalism. Don't condemn, don't look down. Finally, the delight of discipline. For that's what it calls for. That delight that we read in Isaiah 58, the delight of not doing what you please, the delight of being different, uh, that somehow has got to get across, that it is a delightful day. Uh, that, not, that, not that church is meant to be an entertainment, not that it's meant to be just fun, uh, but it's meant to be different. I was telling the congregation last night, the last time but one I preached at Fullwood Church, everything happens Memorable, and I go back to preach at Fullwood. As, as I was shaking out the door, a, a, a student girl who I never met before, uh, going out, said to me, My Philip, that was wicked. Now, I have never preached a wicked sermon ever before <laughs> in my knowledge, but clearly uh, it was meant to be a positive affirmation of my sermon. It was wicked. Uh, and uh, we then went to, to, to speak out to speak at another church where they sang a chorus. And the chorus went, It's wicked, 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 it's brill, brill, brill. This is all to do with the Christian life. I stopped singing after that. I don't know how many more adjectives. But <laughs> wicked following Jesus? <laughs> what do words mean? But in the, wor- the way in which the word means it today, uh, for our kids, church ought to be wicked <laughs> in the other sense of that word. You know what I mean? And if we bore our kids, if we just get them to do what we want them to do on Sunday because we say so, then we shall probably pay a heavy price later. Of course there's a discipline, but there's a delight in that discipline when you make decisions about what you do about television on Sunday and so on. Well, let me tell you personally, I had to decide when I went to university, just converted, what I would do with Sunday. Now, in those days there wasn't much Sunday sport and so on. But there were other things to do on Sunday, of course. And I was away from my mum, who wouldn't let me kick the ball. I was now, I was now there. And I knew that I, 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 I wanted to play sport on Saturday. I loved cricket, football. I wanted to play sport on, on Saturday. So I knew in my own mind, if I was going to be honest, I had to work hard five days a week so that I could have one day for sport and one day not studying for the Lord. I never studied on Sunday. I always refused to study on Sunday because I wanted to enjoy my Saturday at sport and so I thought in fairness to God if I'm going to spend a day sport I need to do a day with God and I learned to work hard for five days and I came through okay at the end I think it's this sort of discipline which actually can bring a delight I was able to enjoy my sport I was able to enjoy all that now the problem is with Sunday sport I pose the question to my Christian sport friend, is it any any longer possible for a person to be a professional sportsman and not play on Sunday? Can a Christian nowadays be a professional sportsman and keep to the Sunday rule? I think the problem is probably no. Any sport now is Sunday 
sport. Uh, a week past Sunday, when, as you all know, particularly in Newcastle, you're, all, you're all the centre of the world, and I'm rugby, aren't you? As you all know, in Newcastle, two weeks ago, on Sunday, you know, on, on on Saturday, we won the World Cup. The week before, the semi-final was on Sunday morning, as I'm sure you know, and I was doing a weekend conference, and. Uh, <laughs> My first talk was due on 9.45. Now, those who follow these things will know that the football match was only halfway through, England versus France, at 9.45. And the clergyman who was running it said to me beforehand, Philip, you, you will understand, won't you? He said, it, you know, I, I can't really put a three-line whip. It is a weekend away. But, uh, oh, I said, don't worry, I'll speak to the ones who come. Uh, and so as I walked past the television room, it was absolutely jam-packed with people at 9.35. I thought, well, Margaret's coming if nobody else and the vicar over there, so I'll be all right. But no, the clergyman, to his great delight, said, I don't know if it's a tribute to you, Philip, or what, they all turned up, and they did. Suddenly, the television was turned off, and at 9.45, they were all there for the Bible. And he, the, the clergyman said, that, 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 Philip, is the greatest tribute I've ever known, that these young people came to hear you speak. Now, whether it's a tribute or not, I want to say, I like to think that as Christians, we can actually say first things first. See, I have friends in the ministry who, if there's a special football match on at a particular time, they change the time of their worship to fit in. The signal it sends out to our young people is that, well, of course, we all the church comes second. And we always, we give in. We've no confidence anybody will turn up. If it's an evangelistic outreach effort, yes, probably. But are we saying, are we actually saying to our congregation uh, that well, when, it, when it comes to pinch, they'll watch the rugby rather than come to church? After all, they could video the rugby in any case, couldn't they? And watch it later on. But we, we give in to it. Uh, I, I love football. My sin to watch Sheffield Wednesday, which can be a trial and tribulation, but I do watch Sheffield Wednesday. Now, when they play on a Sunday, I don't go. My son still comes from Bradford to watch Sheffield Wednesday. In his last year's Christmas newsletter, I like a little bit, he said uh, he brings his son along with him, a seven-year-old son, along with him to watch Sheffield Wednesday uh, play football. He said, uh, I used to think it was a matter of uh, parent-child bonding. My friends say it's not it's a matter of child abuse, which I think is very unfair when it's in the <laughs> but it could well be true. But uh, because, you know, there comes a time when I have to say, which is more important? And if we send the signal out every time we change things uh, for the sake of, we, we want to demonstrate that we're sort of nice and kind people, I think we're sending out the wrong signal. The first, did you know the first time it all happened? I remember it well. It was a foresight saga that, first of all, <laughs> changed. And I remember saying, are you, somebody said, are you changing your evening service? It's foresight saga. I said, I can't make my Sunday evening service, service more exciting than the foresight saga. I give up tomorrow. And uh, we, went, we didn't make the slightest difference to our congregation. So there we are. One, just like, one last thing I think I've said, I've said enough. I'm very grateful, actually, that I had an upbringing that made me be disciplined and I could then think through the implications of it, in spite of what I said about my mum. Uh, she brought me up positive to come to know and love the Lord. And I've often thought, well, I've thought this last few months, since I became president of the Lord's Day Observance Society, I think it's about the only Christian job I've done that will cause my mum in heaven a great joy. I bet in heaven she's a great please that he's made it at last. It was not in vain what I taught him in those days. Uh, I want to say there are very testing days ahead for us in all these commandments. Uh, I don't know who's going to do your, the next uh, six for you. We're going to do the new year, I gather. Well, some of these issues, adultery, murder, my, 
Uh, well, we're, we're playing fast and loose with those, even in Christian circles. But in an odd kind of way, this particular one, I think, is very significant. And if we let this go by default, if we play fast and loose with this, I believe in an odd kind of way, it is the slippery slope and the rest will follow. And a revival of a genuine love for the Lord's Day could actually be a very significant sign of a turning back to God. I'm going to pray, and then I'll hand back to the chairman, and if there are questions, I'd be delighted. If there aren't, I'd be ready to dash off home. I'm not worried, but uh, I'm very pleased to try to answer them if I can. But just a prayer, first of all. Father, we do thank you for the command you've given us for our well-being, and we thank you for what we know in our own experience, and maybe in some we have learned afresh tonight of the wonder of that one day in seven, and so wonderfully lifted up in the joy of the Lord's Day. Help us for ourselves and for our families to enjoy it, to cherish it, to keep it, and may your spirit so move that there may be a turning back to your day and to your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much indeed, Philip, for stimulating our thinking about the Lord's Day. I'm going to have a very, very short break, uh, and then I don't know whether you're happy to answer questions or content willing. to, willing to. I take the Dick Lucas view, yes. not to encourage questions at all, but however, questions will be permitted, and Philip is encouraged but not too strongly. Let's just have a quick break. break. Would anyone like to ask a question? There's a gentleman here. My question has already been answered briefly during the, the course of the lecture, but I'd like to... Uh, make it nevertheless and sort of press for a fuller answer if I may. The question is, can it be right for a Christian to follow a career in top-class professional sport in view of the fact that so many sporting events now take place on a Sunday? Thank you for asking a question which can be heard. (laughs) I I think what worries me is that the, the problem is I, I think it's almost becoming, no, they can't. And it's sad because I like the pr- prospect. I'm a sportsman and I love to think they're Christian sportsmen who can make their mark. But you see, I took a meeting in uh, Jesmond a year or two ago when Jonathan Edwards was, uh, gave his testimony and somebody asked him the question. I think even, even then it was perhaps not relevant because it was an outreach meeting, but asked him why he, you know, did he run on Sunday night and he did. And he, he always said that God had told him to do that. He didn't used to, that God had told him. Now, I find this one difficult, you see. I mean, I, don't, I find it hard uh, to think that God actually has to do something. The commandment probably said no. But it, we are not meant, I think, to judge them. I would, I would not. I tr- believe John, Jonathan Edwards is a fine Christian young man, and I respect him. I, I, I wish in one sense he'd made his stand. Because if a lot of these professional people do, then it affects a younger generation. They fail their role models. And uh, when they meet people who are known as Christians, who publicly 
uh, perform in sporting activities on Sunday, then it's very hard for parents to say to kids, you shouldn't be playing for the local uh, football team instead of going to Sunday school on Sunday. Just one, one illustration, when I was a younger minister, I remember being in a meeting with, or being on a brainstorm, with David Shepherd, uh, the cricketer. And at that stage, Sunday cricket was only benefit matches. And somebody asked David Shepherd, did he play on Sundays? And at that stage, he, he didn't. And he said because he had been doing, but he'd found more and more he'd been pushing church out completely. So he felt he had to make a stand, not just because he was a clergyman, because he felt, you know, as a Christian, he was going to miss out if he wasn't able to get to church. And if the, a lot of these professional sports people find it very hard to grow in the faith because they're hardly ever in church, frankly. And so it is, it is getting more and more difficult. We must pray for them. And if they decide they want to play on Sunday, we must not stand in condemnation. On the other hand, I, I think it's sad that we've reached that stage. If only we kept our sports to Saturday, we'd have no problem. I wrote to the, to the chairman of Sheffield Wednesday complaining on occasion about playing games on Sunday. And he wrote back and he said, well, he himself didn't like Sunday games, so he said. But he pointed out, you see, that it's all dominated by television. And he made the comment, you're almost better off having a televised match with nobody there than having a full house with no television. You get so much money from television rights. And so they dictate and they mean, means more and more Sunday play. So the answer is it's very difficult, but let's not judge and condemn those who may do it. Pray for them. Might I follow up by um, saying that in, in practice that this will mean that uh, no Christian, say professional golfer, uh, who wants to win the British Open, uh, this seems to be close to him. Yeah. Likewise, a male tennis player, yeah. the Wimbledon finals on yeah. Sunday. Yeah. You think of the cricketers in the test team. Yeah. So... Um, yeah. uh, the logic is perhaps, perhaps there's a. I feel perhaps there's a battle to be fought yeah. here, a real battle, yeah. uh, and our inspiration you've mentioned with Eric Liddell. Yes. Although it was so many years ago. If we could see a revival, there could be a time. There could be a time when, if there are enough Christians who are in sport who in, will not play on Sunday, maybe they will shift. In the 1930s, I know my cricket statistics. In the 1930s, when they went on the first tour of India. MCC, Jack Hobbs was asked to go, but he wouldn't go because they played on Sunday. Jack Hobbs is a practicing Christian, and he wouldn't go because on Sunday. And they so much wanted him to go, they changed the whole itinerary so that he would go. So right. they, they, now, if that, if that was ever to happen again, wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> okay. There's a question over here, John. Uh, your talk has uh, stimulated me to think about the efforts we put in car driving on a Sunday. In what way would you recommend that we limited our time at the wheel, working hard, getting from A to B? Do you mean, do you mean motor rallying? Or do you no, 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 just, <laughs> just ordinary driving. Ordinary driving on Sunday. Well, certainly uh, I have, uh, Martin, I know I've, I found a problem because I, until I retired, I mean, I just walked down the road to our church on Sunday, so I very rarely had to drive anywhere. I get sort of weary of driving on Sunday, and, and therefore that people actually drive for amusement on Sunday. I, can't, I wish those who weren't having to go to, uh, to preach at places would keep off the roads on Sunday and I might be able to get there more readily. I mean, sometimes... The tra I mean, Sunday traffic is now worse than Saturday traffic. Uh, and and, and I, I, if, on a Sunday evening, getting back from preaching is, is... I would have thought that most people, 
if you have a busy life and you want to get out in the countryside on, on, on Sunday and you haven't got another chance in between your, your worship, that, that's, that's fine. And it probably does, does mean a car, but perhaps we need to lose our legs a bit more. Um, thanks. Um, I think you made a very good point about the witness of Sunday and some Sunday observation. But how can we say that it is, uh, it is always wrong to work on a Sunday if, um, bearing in mind that the New Testament doesn't actually tell anybody to keep uh, a Sunday free from work and that the Old Testament passages are actually talking about a Saturday? Yes, um, the Old Testament passage, I, I believe the principle of the Ten Commandments is one day in seven. I think to be actually pedantic and say that means Saturday and not, not Sunday, well, it, it meant for them Saturday, but the principle of one day in seven seems to me to apply, and therefore because of Sunday being very special for Christians, that the same principle applies. And uh, I think it's right for, I mean, certain jobs have to be done on Sunday, clearly. Uh, uh, we need doctors on Sunday. We need, we, you know, we need people who, make sure we get our electricity and all the rest on Sunday. We live in that kind of world. We don't need shops open on Sunday. I mean, I think that, is, that was the beginning. We really do not in our society. And, and it, it is, I think, an unnecessary uh, work that people have got to do on Sunday. So I, I, no, I, I would not... You see, I don't accept that the Old Testament is simply saying on Saturday, the Jews on Saturday kept it special. The New Testament doesn't say we should do this on Sunday. It assumes the commandments that Jesus said, not a jot or tittle should be taken away from the law, not the, not the smallest letter of the, of, the, of, the, of the letter. So I believe it still applies. Um, and that we, do the, we have to do on Sunday, uh, and we avoid doing other things. My, my talk about not studying on Sunday was simply, I knew I wanted a day off for, 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 for sport as well, uh, and I knew that that would drive me to work hard. And I actually, I think I was, I was better for having done it. I got quite a good degree at the end. There's a question in the front here. I'm sorry, um, John asked me if I was going to behave myself when I came in. He's about not um, to, so just just you your warm here. Yes. As, as, as you can see, if you look at me in profile, never mind the kipper, I'm Jewish. Um, and I've only recently, relatively recently, come into my Jewishness. I've been a believer for 30 years. Um, but my Jewishness is becoming more and more important to me and, I believe, to the church. I think the church has forgotten its Jewish roots. And I, th I think that means that, that, that we're misunderstanding a lot of what the New Testament says because it was written by Jews, for Jews, and primarily about Jews. And um, the, the idea of the Lord's, uh, you know, the, what you just call the principle of one day's rest in seven, um, being changed from the seventh day to the first day of the week, um, is, is not backed up in any uh, way whatsoever in Scripture. The fact that the disciples met on the Lord's day um, has, has got nothing to do with God saying, we'll change the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. Je Yeshua, Jesus... Um, assumed that everybody knew the Sabbath. He was, uh, to all intents and purposes, an Orthodox Jewish rabbi of his day. And, um, and he, he took the Sabbath, as did all the disciples, for granted. 
And I really can't see that changing it um, from, from Saturday to Sunday, quite frankly, um, I, I must say I think it's a very flimsy reason to, 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 to say that the Bible talks about the Lord's Day. And the, the, the real reason behind uh, Sabbath change was, in fact, uh, Constantine uh, in his anti-Semitic um, actions when he, when he changed, when he forbade uh, anything to do with Jewishness. Would you agree? Uh, so, sorry, it's such a long question. New Testament wasn't written for Jews only. The, the joy of the New Testament is there were Jew, Jew and Gentile and the barriers are broken down, praise the Lord. So, that, so that, that, I disagree with that one. It wasn't written for Jews. It was written by Jews, I agree, apart from St. Luke, who wasn't a Jew. Um, but it, it was not written for Jews. It was written for Christians, who include Jew and Gentile. I, there are some Christians... Well... Well, you may disagree, but, I, but, but I'm right. Uh, well, I'm sorry, I am. I am. I, 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 there's, there's no doubt the New Testament was written for Jews and Gentiles. Oh, yes. Yes. Well, that's right. Well, we don't disagree. That doesn't mean Christians. Oh, it does. Well, I think... Sorry. Please, you, you, you had the courtesy of a question. Will you please have the courtesy of listening to the answer? Uh, well, there are some Christians who do worship on Saturday. There are, there are Seventh-day Adventists. I don't, uh, uh, I don't disagree with, with them worship on Saturday. If they find that helpful, I, I, I don't uh, expect them to make, make me a worship on Saturday. But there are some who do. I don't know whether you worship on Saturday. But, I mean, there are those who keep it. But it seems to me that there was very obvious Christians did meet from the first, on the first day of the week, which, which is very special for Christians, and I'm, I'm very happy we should continue. And we have in our congregation at Fullwood uh, Jews who have become Christians who are very happy uh, to worship with us. And they actually, and they're Jewish, they actually prefer to be called Christians. That's the name. He, 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 he respects those who want to be Messianic Jews, but he said, no, I like the word Christian because it includes all other Jew and Gentile alike. We probably could read to differ. There we are. Okay, question at the front here. Pam. Um, thank you for your talk. I just wanted your comments on flexible working patterns because all the symptoms of our age have to do with people working um, seven days a week. And these are the new Christians in the Alpha courses. Yeah. Um, are you against... Um, well, could you make a comment about flexible working? Questions about flexible working. Oh, well, I... You see, the, the commandment does say six days shalt thou labour and do all the hands, and the seven is the Sabbath. That there needs to be there needs to be a pattern of rest and work, and, and it, it is to me one of the sad facts of today that we are making more and more people have to work on Sunday when they need not work on Sundays. Now, for people who do have to work on Sundays, we do have to try to find opportunities within the Christian fellowship for them to meet with other Christians. Now, that can be done, of course. Uh, most people still can be in church sometime on Sunday, most Sundays, can't they? But I agree that we need, we need to find, we need to battle for uh, people to have uh, reasonable hours of work and we, we ought to fight for it. And I, I think that the fighting for Sunday, for the Lord's being special, could actually make a lot of difference because there are a lot of people who are working on Sunday who need not be working on Sunday. Now, we, I mean, in the sense in which if, the, if, the, if the, our nation was uh, organised in a better and more humane way, they wouldn't have to. Um, because a lot of the things that we assume we need, we don't. I mean, we do need lights and so on, but we don't need shops open on Sunday. We don't need sport on Sunday. We need hospitals. But uh, so I, I agree, and I think, we, and we must be. And that's why, as a clergyman, I had to take another day off in the week. You see, that's why Alan Redpath had, had, had mucked it up. There's a question coming from the back. You're on the 
can I ask, um, firstly, can you comment on what you think of kind of the idea of a minimum of having a, a maximum hour a week, whether that's a, a desirable thing? And what also, is a maximum hour a week? Well, I think the Europe is 48 hours, isn't it? But, but more, more important point, we're told that we should labour for six days and have one day off. Can you comment on the fact that most people uh, work five days a week? Is that, is that a good thing? Or, uh, should, or do we say that the other day of the week they're probably doing other sorts of work which aren't paid work? Mm. But is it, is it a right thing that we should expect two days um, when we're not working in a, in a formal you sense? Question, yeah, they've got a question. Did you hear the question? My problem is that I, I, I'm told by most people that I'm a workaholic, so I'm, I'm not the right person because I love work. Uh, and, and I've had no problem working six days a week and having uh, one day off. Uh, to me, I, I find that very fulfilling. I prefer work <laughs> to most other things. But I have a congenial job. Well, most of the time, clergy job is a congenial job. Uh, and I think there does need to be protection. That's why there were humanitarian legislation in the Old Testament, to protect people whose work was not so congenial. So I think there does need to be some limit to how people work. I am not convinced, perhaps I won't be wrong, that we are a, an overworked generation. People keep saying it, but I'm not, I find that hard to be convinced that we all work too hard. And there's a, a great myth around that poor, poor clergy all work too hard. That is a myth that needs to be destroyed very quickly. Uh, we are just like everybody else. Some work too hard and many don't work hard enough. Uh, I think the six-day shot that I live and, and have a day off is fine for me, but it is interesting, isn't it, that my grandfather had five and a half worked five and a half days and still had time to have his Sunday. I think most people could easily they work five days a week, have Saturday for rest and recreation and Sunday for worship, which I would have thought. If you have flexible working hours, then you've got to have a day off in the countryside on Wednesday. It's rather nice walking the hills. And when you're retired, you can do just what you like. It's marvellous. <laughs> Is that a question, Shirley? There's a question from Miss Towns, I think. Does working six days undermine family life? Is that your question? Well, well, effects, well uh, possibly, though I did work six and my family have not gone desperately astray, but I think that is problem. And I'm, I'm, really, I'm really talking cloud cuckoo land because there's no way we're going to have six days working, are we? If we're going to have these hours and maximum hours, you'd, you won't be working six days a week. So it ought to be true that family life will all be, the, be all the stronger today. Would you say it was? Uh, time. We need time for the family. Yes. That's, it's not just whether, it's the ch ch whether the family suffered or not, but it's time that they need. And it's very difficult if you're working six days a week, to have time. My wife looked after the family very well. But yes, I agree. I think here's, here's a... It's, it's an issue that we need to balance out, but I don't think it affects my, the main thesis of what we do with the Lord's Day. I think it is good, it's good to have time with the family. It's very important. And I, I, I tried to give time to my kids when I was working. I still manage even working six days a week. I don't want to ask a question. I'd like to make a comment about, <laughs> about uh, driving cars on Sunday. I haven't had a car for 18 years now, so I'm going back a long way to this experience. Uh, I, was coming, I used to fill up with petrol on a Friday night on the way home from work, and I remember asking the local boy at the garage uh, what time they were open, because I wasn't certain. And he told me the weekday times, and he told me the Sunday times. I said, I don't need to know about the Sunday times because I won't come on a Sunday to buy petrol and he was a friend ever after he thought that was he was very impressed with that 
Thank you, Dennis. That's not a question. It's a, it's a statement. Is anyone who has not yet asked a question? I'm trying to be fair. don't want to. Yes, sir. Could I ask uh, for a brief comment about if, if one has a fairly demanding you know, secular job in the usual sense, and if you're involved in any significant amount of uh, uh, Christian service in addition to that, it's very difficult not to, for that to impinge, it's very difficult to leave time for rest, as it were, on Sunday, because, you know... Uh, yeah. You've got that question, and it's a very... It's a very sensitive question. If I was talking to ministers tonight, I mean, there are probably maybe some here, um, I do think we ministers sometimes do forget that we often ask of our lay people uh, a great deal of their time uh, when we are full-time paid. And I, I, while I, I'm a great believer in delegating work and I'm a great believer that in things like visiting of the sick and so on, that the congregation can all be involved, it was always my great aim that I would set the standard of, having, of living a full life so that my, the lay people in my congregation who were being asked to give up their spare time couldn't for a minute think that somehow you know, the, the guy up there was having an le- easy time. And I, I, therefore, I think, when, when lay people are involved a great deal midweek and are in, involved in, in, in Sunday work as well, then, in a sense, uh, their Sabbath, like my Sabbath, would have to be on a, on a different day, sometimes Sunday for a Sunday school teacher and a and a person who's working elsewhere, uh, do other things on Sunday, might be, the Sunday might be a very wearisome day, in, in, the, in the sense of which a, a busy day. I, I think we do need to watch, I don't know what sort of church you belong to, but we do need to watch that we don't expect one or two people to be doing all the jobs. And I, I always tried in church to make sure there was a sort of spread over uh, the job. But a valid point made, and I think that's right, and we should be mindful of the fact uh, that we do need rest. And, it, and it's... Therefore, good, I think, to, for, for jobs to, to move. I, I know you may say it's all right for me. I was vicar of a, what was eventually a large church, and therefore... But we didn't have, for example, a church warden only served for three or four years as a warden and then moved on. There was always this constant change so that people weren't too long in a job that did ask for a lot of their spare time. <laughs>